0: Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Well, I'm really excited to introduce Phil Pye um, to all of you. Phil is part of the national leadership team of the Assemblies of God. He is senior pastor of Arena Church, which is a church over two campuses in Ilkeston and Mansfield. And I know we're going to be really challenged by what Phil has for us. So let's welcome Phil. Welcome Phil Pye. Come on. Yeah, it really is a, a joy to be with you this morning. And, and thanks to, to Paddy and the, and the guys for, for the invitation. So I'm going to go to Romans chapter eight for a few verses of reading, and then I'm going to roll out something to you this morning. So Romans chapter eight and verse twelve says, "Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. It is not to the flesh to live according to it, for if we live according to the flesh, we will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those that are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves." so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about adoption to sonship. And by that spirit we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Verse 14, For those who are Led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. I want to talk about Spirit-led leaders. Spirit-led leaders. You know, next year, 19, uh, in 2014, is the 90th celebration of Assemblies of God starting in Great Britain. It began in Aston in Birmingham. Wow, you can't believe you live in the same country. If you ever go to Aston, part of my area, compare with here. Woo! Big difference. Big collaboration, Million Million and a half people. You know, but that's where the Assemblies of God started. It started with a group of people wanting to come together to begin to cause the Pentecostal witness to flourish. Of course, it had already been rebounding around the earth, uh, AOG, US, nine, probably 10 years before that had sort of uh, come together. And around the earth, as the Spirit of God was poured out in a sovereign way, people began to gather I was talking to Peter, just as we were having a cup of tea earlier, and we say to our young guys, you know, young guys nowadays, they can get a bit sniffy about anything that's more than about six months old, you know, because we need to move on. I get that, but the reality is every one of us are where we are today, on the back of people that have served God in the past. We don't want to live there, but we must never forget it. And these people, friends, were put out of churches. They were vilified. They were called demonized. They were laughed at. They were scorned. They were ridiculed because they spoke in tongues, as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. And they formed together a group of churches. We can look back now and say they should have made some decisions better. They probably should. And uh, interestingly, I was just talking to some Ealing leaders recently. And there was sort of all sorts of challenges about working together. They never got there. Won't go there because God sort of blessed both sort of groups. But here we are, (coughs) sort of 90 years on. And the fact is that every Christian denomination historically has tended to forget the roots from which it was born. And some of them are started in fire and ended in failure, sadly. I don't believe that's our journey. But we must ever be reminded that we are what we are because we have a distinct belief in the power of the Spirit of God at work in our lives. We still want to believe for people to get baptised in the Holy Spirit and speak in speaking tongues. We really do. And we've been quite intentional in our church, even in this recent season, to pray for people to be baptised in the Holy Spirit and to speak speaking tongues. We understand that we also, as Ephesians says, need to keep being filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. Many of you will know that the literal sort of grammatical sort of context of that verse is be being filled. It's a continuous tense. Why do we need to be filled? Because we leak. You know, if you've had that counseling session on a Tuesday night, you need to be filled on Wednesday. If you've had that person ranting and raving on the phone, you leak. Something depletes from you. You need to keep be being filled. In Corinthians we talk about being spirit gifted. Tongues, prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, gifts of healing, miracles, etc, etc. We need all of that. We need spirit baptism. We need to be spirit filled. We need to be spirit gifted. But we also need in our journey as Christian leaders to be spirit led. And I understand that sometimes this is a difficult subject actually to communicate with balance. And... uh, The reason that we give pushback to it at times is for numbers of reasons. You see, people claim to be spirit-led when they're fanatical. Supposedly led in everything but to all the wrong places. People claim to be spirit-led that are mystical and they carry no connection or credibility. People claim to be spirit-led and concentrate on the trivial. Claiming to be led over things that don't matter whilst ignoring the things that do. I remember early in ministry, I was saying, of course, you don't need to be praying over what you have for breakfast in the morning. And one lady in the church said, I do! You know, Well, it may be an issue in your house, whether it's Weetabix or or Cornflakes, but it's not in ours. It's not a hill we're going to die on. You know, it really isn't. There are more important things to be led about. And then what about the unaccountable? Let me take your church leader to that fateful Wednesday night meeting. It was your night off you got it all set up. You're going to watch the Champions League. It was just going to be a relaxed night. When all of a sudden, that person called you on the door on Sunday and was insistent that you saw them this week. And the only available time they had was Wednesday night. You tried to give pushback. You said, no, 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 it's not going to fit in my diary. But they were absolutely insistent. It was urgent. It was vital. They've got to meet. So you sort of uh, trudged away to their house at 7.30 and immediately were... Was sort of suspicious of where the meeting was going to go because um, you were met with a comment like, Nellum, uh, don't want you to take this personally. <laughs> and you need to realize that we're only speaking the truth in love. And then for the next two hours, they are incredibly personal and don't speak anything lovingly. You ever been there? Yeah. yeah. And uh, it goes to the context of we have felt led and you know what's coming next we have felt led to leave your church they've never given them a prophetic word they've never read out a bible verse they've never sort of engaged in the worship but all of a sudden there's red letters in the sky telling them that they're led to leave your church you've sown into them you've discipled them you've encouraged them you've lifted them up you've picked them up when they're down but they felt led if only they would leave it there but there's always an add-on. You see, we felt led to leave, and then there'll be something like, the ministry's not the same. It's a euphemism for saying, your preaching's become worse and worse and worse and worse. <laughs> there's nothing for the kids. Nothing for the kids. And so they pattern to their kids that every time it doesn't quite be convenient, the church, they go to another church. Little wonder sometimes, friends, when kids get to 18 and they've been in seven churches, they decide actually they don't want to do Jesus anymore. Be careful. And then they say that my ministry is not being recognized. What that means is that you've not given them preaching time. And if, if you're still standing and you've still got a smile in the face, here's the real one. Oh, and by the way, we felt led because there's no... Love in this church. Now, you were going to watch the football that night. And two hours later, two hours later, you're trudging home, you kick your shoes off. And actually, as a Christian leader, you say, I never want to be led by the Spirit again. If that's being led. If that's being led. Unaccountable people that take no response to your ministry, your counsel, your direction, your wisdom, your care over their lives that have gone off to do their thing Again. All this presents a danger for Christian leaders. And it's that we allow something to ferment in our spirit that makes us hard-nosed, cynical and reluctant to commit to the spirit-led life as leaders. And we must avoid it. We must avoid it. Because the Bible says that those that are the sons of God are led by the spirit of God. And I want to try and illustrate this for a few moments this morning by drawing on four examples from the Acts of the Apostles of the Spirit's leading in people's lives. I want to talk to the principles more than the issues, but I want you to realize today, brothers and sisters, fellow leaders, that yeah, we, we want to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, we want to be continually filled, we want to be gifted, but we need people here today that have a conscious sense of being led by the Holy Ghost in their lives. If you do not give it pushback because of bad experiences in the past when you wanted to kill somebody rather than pray for them. Here's how Peterson puts it in Romans 8. So don't you see that you don't owe this old do-it-yourself life, one red cent. There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give a decent burial and to get on with your new life. God's Spirit beckons. There are things to do and there are places to go. So where's the Spirit of God going to lead us? But I think, firstly, he's going to lead us down the pathway of integrity. In Acts chapter (coughs) 8, Philip is preaching. And Philip's preaching this morning, and Philip led the worship as well. And they're all with one L. (laughs) Because that's the proper spelling. (sighs) And there's a revival come to Samaria. (coughs) People getting saved. Demons being cast out. People being healed. The whole city rocked with the presence of God. Big things. Big things. When all of a sudden the Spirit of God came to him. And and, and spoke to him. And called him to go and talk to one person. You can read about it in verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip. Go south to the road. The desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza." You know the story well. You Christian leaders. How that God saw that a revival was taking place that was touching thousands, but he was interested in one. And what I get from that is that there are big things all over this room this morning. Big ministries to emerge, far bigger than you even discerned or understood yet. Big breakthroughs, big building projects, big connections with community, big schools breakthroughs. All sorts of things that potentially either have taken place or will take place going forwards because God loves to be involved in the big of your life but here's what I feel the more we get involved in the big the Holy Spirit seems incredibly interested in the little he really does and so he takes this guy from a big thing and seemingly takes him and, and seemingly puts him in a place that seemed ridiculous one person But that one person travelling back from Jerusalem to Ethiopia was somebody that was on God's heart, sufficient for the evangelist to come alongside him. He's reading Isaiah 53, he says, I don't understand what's happening, I need somebody to explain him. The evangelist didn't need any second invitation, he explained the gospel to him. He says, well, can I get baptised as well? Amazing. The little things. Whatever big God's doing in my life, friends, he seems awfully interested in the little. Let me illustrate it. The little things of our attitudes. Here's a piece from an article that John Ortberg wrote in Leadership Magazine. <clears throat> I think you'll get the drift of where I'm going. The pastor was driving home from church, tailgating the car in front of him. Of course, nobody does that in this congregation this morning. The amber light went and the car in front hit his brakes. The pastor goes Ballistic. He hits the horn, he makes non-faith based gestures to the man in front and while in his mid rant someone taps on the window, he looks up and sees a police officer. The pastor is invited out of his car and taken to the station where he is searched, fingerprinted and put in a cell. After a couple of hours they let him out. The arresting officer is very, very apologetic as he returns his personal effects back to the pastor. The officer said, I'm so sorry pastor for the mistake. But I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, using bad gestures and bad language. And I noticed that what would Jesus do? Bumper sticker, the choose life license plate, the follow me to church on Sunday, and also the Christian faith emblem. And I naturally assumed that you had stolen the car. (laughs) He's interested in the little things. He's interested in the little things of our motives. A friend of mine was leading a church, sort of charismatic new church, and he got really passionate about the gifts of the Spirit. God, I want to be used in words of knowledge. I want to be used in words of wisdom. I want to pray for the sick and see a greater breakthrough. And God says, Paul, do you really believe that? He says, yeah. Do you really want it? Yeah. He says, well, you know when you used to work for that Butcher all those years ago in that Yorkshire village. Yeah. He says you stole some meat off him. Can you remember? When you were doing the rap Yeah, he says, I'd like you to ring him up and say sorry. What? Yeah, I'd like you to ring him. Up. If you're really keen about all these gifts taking place. So anyway, push back and push back. How many of you have gone away from prayer thinking that God's gonna forget about what He's told you to do until you get back to prayer the next time? And it seems to be very, very high on the agenda. Anyway, he rang this butcher up who was a backslidden Methodist local preacher. He said, it's Paul. Paul, I've not heard from you for years. How are you doing? He says, I owe you an apology. He says, all those years ago when I worked for you, he says, I stole stole some meat. And he says, I know you're not going to believe this, but sort of God's told me to ring you up and say sorry. The guy broke down in tears on the other end of the phone. And he says, so how much do I owe you for the stolen meat? He says, you don't owe me anything. What's all that about? I don't know. But, you know, sometimes we're asking God for the big And we won't deal with the little. We're going to go nowhere. He's interested in the little of our relationships. For numbers of years, I did a bivocational role, which meant on social hours and often coming in late at night. And hopefully this didn't happen too often, but occasionally I'd be brusque with the kids. They were still at home then. I didn't really want to talk. I wanted to hide behind the paper and see the day's events and what had taken place. I remember one day being a bit curt with Miriam, my oldest daughter. And the following morning, I went to bed and never even thought anything about it. I'm shaving. and It was like the Holy Spirit came into the bathroom and said, oh, by the way, before you go to work this morning, I suggest that you apologize to Miriam. I said, what for? He said, your attitude last night. He said, really, Lord? So we had this debate. And he sort of said, I'm going to win on this. You know, I want you to apologize. All the pride of dad. She should have known I was tired. Why don't these kids get a grip? No, no. So I'm not interested in any of that. I want you to. So Miriam's coming down. She's getting ready for college. Maybe even she's starting work at the bank. 17, 18, 19 years of age. I says, Miriam. She says what, Dad? I said, I just want to say sorry for my attitude last night. So it was out of order, and I feel I ought to say ask your forgiveness. No worries, Dad. Forget it. You know. But somehow God was interested in that. And I tell you what, if we want the big things of the platform where we're not dealing with the little things of the home, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. What about the pathway of vulnerability, second? Acts chapter 9, verses 10 to 19. And just before we move on to that, just a quote from Mahat Gandhi. I know he wasn't a Christian, but the quote works. He was... Just in case some of you are worried. (laughs) He was running a religious retreat. And he had a guy come to him from America... who'd been trained at Harvard. And uh, he says, hi, you know, I've, I've come to work on the retreat. And uh, Gandhi says, yeah, well, you need to go and sort of clean the latrines. And this guy went mad. He says, don't you know who I am? Don't you know my studies? Don't you know my backgrounds? Don't you know that I've committed to this? Because I'm destined for great things. Gandhi said, you may be destined for great things. I want to see if you're going to take care of the little things. And I believe there's greatness all over this room. I really do. I really do. But the spirit led life takes us to those places at times that seem so small, so insignificant, but they're so important to God. The pathway of vulnerability, Acts chapter 9, as I move on briefly. Ananias. In verse eleven it says, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Who was Ananias? Was he a leader of the Damascus Church? The Bible doesn't tell us. Was he an elder? Was he just someone that was just a disciple in the church? I don't know. But he's described as one that followed the Lord and followers obey. Even when sometimes we feel vulnerable in the situation. How many of you find that God keeps asking you to do things that in your natural ability you can't do? And he's going to keep asking. He's going to keep asking. He's going to keep asking. Because every one of us at times like to live in the comfort zones of our lives, even in ministry. But if you are going to be all that God's determined to be, he's going to take you out of those areas at times where you will feel incredibly vulnerable and the next step has to be utterly dependent upon the Lord. Verse 13, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. Let's not dress it up, friends. Ananias was basically saying, God, you've got to be joking. This guy's creating havoc in Jerusalem. People are dying. Guys are being carted off to prison and you want me to go and pray for him? I don't think so. I don't think so. But he had an openness to God. Because in verse 10 he says, yes, Lord. He had a willingness to obey because verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And look at the blessedness that ensued. Acceptance, encouragement, healing, baptism, strength. Or from this guy that just heard God say, "Go and pray for him." Vulnerability. Those little whispers that say, it'd "Be a good idea if you send that guy an email. It'd be a good idea to pick up the phone." But uh, they'll, they'll just think it's me. And uh, uh, uh. you can save somebody's life through a telephone conversation. You can turn somebody around through an encouraging email. Forever saying, "Well." It, 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 uh, uh, it might just be me, and they'll misunderstand me, make me reasons for... No, no, no. God's dropped it in your heart. And you know, the more that we respond to those things, the more God gives us other things to begin to do, to be fruitful in the life of blessing others. What happened to Ananias after this Acts 9 incident? I don't know. But he returned to complete anonymity, never mentioned again in the New Testament. And Saul... Well, under the new name Paul, he blazed an apostolic trail that we still preach and talk about today. You see, it may be that you will be an Ananias, that God will bring you to a prominent purpose for a particular situation and then it seems that you retreat back into people not recognizing or noticing or talking about you. Question, does it matter? Does it matter? Does it matter, friends, that in these days where people are sometimes obsessed by social media and connecting with people and putting themselves out there, that sometimes the call may be to one of seemingly, at times, an anonymous journey with the Lord. He sees everything. And he takes all the people like that that can literally turn around events that shape the course of the future of the church of Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid of being vulnerable. It means you've just got to rely on God. Number three, a pathway of sensitivity. Acts chapter 6 and verses 6 to 10. Paul's best laid plans were hijacked by the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with making plans, by the way. Never quite sure of people that say, you know, when you planned a service on a Sunday, somebody turns up and says, so we're not reliant on the Spirit this morning then. Well, why weren't we reliant on the Spirit on Friday when we planned the service so that we had a sense of direction of what God wanted to do on Sunday. Why does why is the Holy Spirit always last minute? Why is it that we can come unprepared and not ready, and that's the Spirit's work, but when we've planned, it's not. It doesn't work, it doesn't compute. It certainly doesn't compute in my wiring, it really doesn't. But here's the truth, nothing wrong with planning. But sometimes the Holy Spirit breaks in in an incredible way. Verse 6, he was kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching in Asia, but verse 9 in the night, the man from Macedonia says, come over and help us. And they went to the capital city of Macedonia, Philippi, and began to connect with a group of women that were praying, and began to minister in the power of the gospel. And you know the story, the, the young lady gets set free from demonic spirits. People that had been unscrupulous in making a profit from her were angry, and Paul and Silas were thrown into prison. Please know that going to Macedonia, the lead city Philippi, did not mean it was easy. Be careful not to judge the purposes of God by the ease of circumstance. See, to be sensitive to the Spirit sometimes actually means you're going to walk into a storm. But the kingdom's going to be advanced. The kingdom's going to be advanced. How sensitive, brothers and sisters, are we to the Spirit's leading in these days? How ready are we for the Holy Ghost to kick over the table of our life and say, actually, we're not going to do it that way. We're going to do it this way. I'm not necessarily talking as Paul found a geographical move. But I'm talking about your church. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about you doing something that the Spirit of God's clearly led you to do that's different from anything that you've done in the past. And a preparedness in your life to be sensitive to what God's saying. And to implement it for the glory of his name. And finally, spirit led leaders get taken down the pathway of intentionality. Acts chapter 10 and verse 13, Peter receives a vision and uh, it absolutely blows him away. About noon the following day, as they were on the journey and approaching the city, Philip went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up and eat. And Peter said, surely not, Lord. Surely not. I think Acts 10 is one of the pivotal chapters of the New Testament because even at that time, with great growth in the Jerusalem church, they still hadn't got it. They still thought, friends, that the gospel was limited to an ethnic race, to a special group of people that were defined by perhaps an Old Testament journey. And here's Peter, who ironically, major ministry going forward was to minister to the jews here's peter's mindset being blown apart by god saying actually that vision that i've showed you reveals to me that i not only want to minister to the jews with the gospel but to the gentiles about 20 months ago we had the joy of being a delegation that went to the holy land as the national leadership team and we were in caesarea we read from acts chapter 10 our guide was a uh, a scholarly uh, Jew, not, uh, God believing but to not accepting of Jesus Messiah guide. It was, an, it was an interesting journey. But as we read from there, he reminded us that even today, even today, many Gentiles in Jewish mindsets are still thought of as dogs, as dirt, as, as rubbish. And certainly in that case, Jesus said, I'm going to change it all. See, I'm intentional about reaching the world, not just a particular group of people. And Peter, you need to understand that I want to do something that will shake everything forever. You know how the story unfolded. He gets the call from a Gentile, Cornelius' household. He goes to minister to them. They receive the word with gladness. They're baptized and fill the Holy Ghost and prophesy. And there's an amazing breakthrough. You get to Acts 15, you find they're still debating about it. Who's one of the speakers for what God is doing amongst the Gentiles? even though his primary call was to the Jews, it's Simon Peter. He got it. He got it. He got it. And As I close, I want you to ask yourself the question today, what's the intentionality over your life in this season? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Is it, oh yeah, I've got six years to retire. Can't wait. Absolutely sick of this church. Because that's not going to be good. Is it, friends, that something sort of negative is at the high in your agenda? Or is there a sense of this is what God placed me on the earth for? Walking in the intentional purposes of the Lord. I want to take you back four years, not because it's past, but because it's present. But I was walking along the riverbank in the River Trent. Those of you that know Nottingham know the great River Trent flows through. And I like sometimes to go long walks, and I particularly like to do them along riverbanks or canals. And I was sort of praying, just talking to God. And I don't want to make a doctrine out of this, but it was almost like I began to prophesy over myself. I've got a vision. And God's God, and he, he knows, I sort of love sports, so he, he gave me this picture of, of the mile race. I know it's 1,500 meters now, but the, the mile race, four laps. And he says, you've ran three, and they've all been 10 years. In ministry. you got a fourth lap. You're still in the race. Sadly, some of my friends aren't. I won't go there. You come to the bell. You're still strong. And he began to talk to me about the fourth lap. <clears throat> in the front of my Bible, I've got 10 words written down. I've say it with humility, friends. It's the prophetic intentionality of God over my life in this season. What gets me out of bed early in the morning when I was late in the night before? And I've got another long day. It's the fourth lap. What keeps me encouraged when sometimes I can come across discouraging contexts. Where I don't feel we're making as much progress as I'd like. It's the fourth lap. What keeps me going to preach with passion in church. When the week before I preached up a storm and nobody responded. It's the fourth lap. It's the fourth lap. And God wants every one of us I believe to be a place of knowing. That we're right in the centre of what he wants us to do. Now it will be contested for. And Phil, as he led the worship this morning, alluded to that. And we have a little sort of principle in our church about Nehemiah chapter 2. We preach the message called Don't Stop Me Now. And don't tell John Partington, we actually played queen at the end as well. So don't, don't go there. But don't stop me now. Because every time you step into the next of God, it will be contested for. Every time. And if the enemy can stop it early, then he'll do so. So I'm talking to one of our pastors just this week over coffee. Uh, I won't mention any names because he may be being taped. Moved into a church six months ago. And uh, says, how's it going? He says, well, I'll just these two women. He says, and they spent an hour tirading me, shouting, bawling. Now he's ex-army, so I think he's going to be able to deal with them. But the reality is, I said, I'm trying to stop you before you started. They've got a flavor of the vision you're going to be rolling out in September after the school holidays. They're trying to stop it. I want to say without hesitation, every time I've moved into the next of God, the kingdom of darkness has tried to stop it. And he doesn't play fair. And I want to encourage people this, after, this morning that are moving into the next of God, the next of God in your church. The next of God, as God reveals the prophetic intentionality over your life for the next season of your life, it will be contested for. But if you'll break through, if you'll see it for what it is, if you'll do what Nehemiah did and he dismissed the accusations of the people, he determined to keep walking before the Lord and he defined who he was. He says, we are the servants of the Lord. Then God will take you to where he wants you to be. Spirit-led leaders. Yeah, we want to speak in tongues. We want to prophesy. We want those refreshing times where we're filled and filled and filled. We want to be moving in words of knowledge and wisdom and revelation. But those that are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. Pentecostal Christian leaders, let's tap in again to being led by the Spirit. If sometimes, like me, you've been tempted to be cynical or ugly about it, because of some of those things I alluded to at the beginning, then please press through it. Be those people today that hear the the small voice of the Lord See, sometimes people say, I remember listening to a student speaking at Mattersy a couple of years ago, and uh, someone said to him, so did you hear an audible voice from the Lord regarding your call to ministry? He says, no, no, it was much louder than that. And the reality is, friends, that I don't know about for you, but I believe in visions and dreams and powerful, powerful prophetic words, and I want to submit myself to them. But for me, the nudges, the prods, The insistent small voice of the Spirit is often the thing that refuses to be quelled and seems to take me where God wants me to go. Don't dampen it, but nurture it. Because those that are led by the Spirit of God, including the Christian leaders that represent churches all over this eastern side of England this morning, are the sons of God. And God will take us on some amazing pathways. He'll take us down routes of integrity. Where whatever big he's doing, The small matters. He'll take us to places of vulnerability. Where our reliance is absolutely on the Lord. In the journey of faith. He'll take us to journeys of sensitivity. Where he upturns the tables of the plans of our life. And says actually that's where I want you to go. And he'll take us to a place of intentionality. Where whatever comes at you. Whatever hell throws at you. Whatever people say. Whatever the seeming responses of the church. You know why you're on the earth for such a time as this as you live in the purpose and destiny of the Lord. May help us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org.